All right, friends, welcome back to How We Work. Today, it's Dr. Isha and Dr. Misha again, and I am so excited. So I've got Dr. Isha Vakaria here with me, and we are going to talk all the way through our newest research report that I am so excited about called The Evolution of Work. Thanks, Misha Ann. So excited to be here and talking about this research, which I think is our most comprehensive to date. Not only because we dug deep in the data, we dug deep. Yeah, we did. (laughs) uh, But also, this is our most diverse sample by far. We were really interested in intersectionality and different pockets of employee experiences. So, Misha Ann, what were some of the things that were on your mind? going into this. So I'm so proud of how this turned out. There were a lot of things that, you know, I was thinking about and that we wanted to accomplish with this report. We've looked at things like psychological safety and stress and burnout in the past, but the world of work is changing so fast. One of the things we wanted to know is where are we with all these important things right now? You Mm -hmm. know, as the pandemic is kind of in our rearview mirror-ish, mm-hmm. right? So we wanted to see, okay, first, where are we with some of these things right now? The second thing, I have long had a bone of contention <laughs> with some of the generational research. And I think it's because as a Jamaican, I always felt like the most important thing about me was not necessarily my age, but where I am from and how I grew up and the fact that I'm an immigrant. And I always felt like that research sometimes encouraged stereotyping. And I just had this hypothesis that really we should be thinking about and talking about stages of life in terms of what people need and want out of work. So I wanted us to dig into that. And then, of course, you know, people are still working in different ways than they were before. So we wanted to make sure that you know, we looked at that again as well. So we put all of those things together in that report. And I know I'm missing something because there's so (laughs) many good things in there. So Isha, what are some of the topics we covered in this report that I missed? Yeah, you're so right, Mishan. There's there's so many layers to the human experience. It's not just I'm of a certain age group. I'm a mom. I'm, you know, this XYZ all the f- pieces together make up who I am and and some and 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 this say, would say the same for everybody. So so what the second part that you said I think let's start there where people are working because WorkHuman has been doing this research for over a decade and pre-covid we really weren't asking where are you working and really interested in, in where people were spending most of the workday? Because for most people, it was in an office or it was in an on-site environment. But now we're really interested in the differences and how the work environment has an effect on people's work experiences. So what's interesting about this new report that we just released Not much has changed in terms of percentages of where people are working. But when you look at pre-COVID, a lot more people are hybrid. A lot more people are remote. And when you look at our global sample, really the numbers suggest that there's an increase in hybrid and a movement from remote 
back to the office globally and the number of people working fully remote is going down. That's really, really interesting. So I want to take a pause here and make sure our listeners know that not only did we consider how are people working based on different industries and different countries, but we wanted to also layer on how do people want to be working? Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the interesting things the pandemic did was opened our eyes to so many different ways of being and of working in the workplace and still being productive. I think before then, so many companies were like, oh, this job has to be done. You have to come on site, Mm -hmm. right? And then we figured it out. And so now people are thinking for themselves, what way of working works best for me? So one of the things that I've struggled with with the pandemic is hearing companies talk about, well, we've got to think about what the business needs and we've got to think about what's necessary for this role. But so few people have been talking about or companies have been talking about, well, what do our employees need? And I think that that is such a fundamental and fatal error. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about how the research suggests that we should be thinking about employee preferences and what they want out of how they work? Yeah, for sure. So when when you when you lay it out as what do our employees need the response is ask them because <laughs> <laughs> exactly i made a face y'all that's why she's laughing <laughs> because really there's a recurring theme in this report that employee preference not only matters but makes a huge difference in the employee experience across different demographics and intersectional groups ask employees how they want to work. Because when you ask employees how they want to work and you grant them their preference in way of working, then you see, at least in our report, positive outcomes across the board, less stress, more satisfaction, more engagement, all these positive things, just because at the foundational level, people are working how they want to work, where they want to work. And the pandemic has shown us we can work in different ways. So rather than going back to how things were, let's take that into account and let people decide for themselves. Oh my gosh. So we should totally innovate, huh? Like all these (laughs) companies are talking about innovation and yet they're so reticent to innovate how people are working and be open-minded where that is concerned. So shocker, like people want control over their lives and you should ask them what works for them. One of the things we found too was that when people were working in their preferred way, which is different for the different personas we looked at and what stage of life they were in, they had and reported lower burnout. So now let's talk about that. This is definitely something that we have studied before and I'm super proud of that. But what did we find this time in terms of how does burnout affect and relate to how people are working. So I'm glad you mentioned burnout because burnout is, um, it's such an interesting topic because it's multi-layered, just like humans are (laughs) multi-layered. Burnout isn't just one umbrella. It is an umbrella term, but it isn't just one thing. And what we're seeing in our research is that it manifests differently based on how people are working. And so when you give people the ability to our autonomy to work in their preferred way of working, they have less burnout. But that also varies by where they're working. 
we saw a big difference in people who are fully on-site versus fully remote in feeling exhausted and mentally drained. Now, if you were to picture who are the people who are working on-site, maybe these are retail or food and hospitality people, it makes sense that they're drained, mentally exhausted, physically exhausted. But when you also look at a different component of burnout on having trouble staying focused, hybrid people or people who work in hybrid environments are the ones who are having the most trouble staying focused. And this is something we talked about last time, actually, and the the code switching and way of working. You know, if you have to remember on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I go into the office and Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm home. You have to remember where things are and where you left off and the connections and the VPN. And, you know, it's, it's a lot and it's translating into trouble staying focused and burnout. Yeah. So there's so much there. So for one, we're on site this week, right? Mm-hmm. I'm on these ridiculously high, though chunky heels. Oh, yeah. All right. And Gorgeous. so, you know, when I'm <laughs> on site and I'm all dressed up, yeah, I'm worn out when I'm at home. You know, I've got the bird feeder, the birds and the squirrel activity in my little courtyard are very fascinating <laughs> to me. I've got laundry, I've got dishes. So that makes sense. But I also feel like I don't know. I'm a little bit more efficient because I'm not lollygagging, talking to people in the in the hallway. So one of the things I want our listeners to come away with as a conclusion from this conversation is there is no one perfect way mm-hmm. of working. Every way of working has its pros and its cons. And so the trick is to ask people what they need, give them what they prefer as much as you possibly can which should activate the norm of reciprocity, which means, hey, you give me a little, I give you something in return. Totally. And that's typically in the form of engagement, Mm -hmm. productivity, discretionary effort, but also because there are pros and cons to each way, then you manage those pros and cons by maximizing the pros and minimizing the cons. And I just want to make sure people remember the role of recognition here, right? So we've got... Something like recognition as a tool which increases connection that you might need more for people who are remote. It reduces burnout. It improves performance. It improves engagement. So think about the things that you have in your toolkit like recognition to manage some of the potential disadvantages of each way of working. For sure. I want to go back to the preferences topic mm-hmm. and and another question that we asked in this report that we didn't think to ask in previous years. So not only are we diving deeper into where people are working, but we asked, would you be willing to take a pay cut to keep or obtain your preferred way of working? And remember in the report, we were like, we'll ask the question that no employer (laughs) should. (laughs) We'll go there, folks, so you don't have to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on a personal side, this question was inspired by a friend of mine who is a mom and she's a software engineer. And you know, her experience in a male dominated industry is that it's tough and she's Mm -hmm. coding all day long. She doesn't get breaks. And as a mom, it's tough to have no breaks during your workday. You got laundry, you got dishes, you got pickup, you got, you know, your child sick with a fever at home. And she actually asked her employer to cut her salary down so she could work four days a week. Wow. And they granted that. And, you know, she was the first person to ask that. And it inspired me to ask this question of 
the people taking the survey. And lo and behold, we have almost a quarter of people who are willing to take a pay cut to keep or obtain their way of working. And that, and, and the way we asked it was to keep or obtain your way of working, not necessarily remote or hybrid. It's, it's the listening to what the employee wants. Thank you, Isha. That's so important. That should let everybody know just how important this is, particularly since when we ask people about why they might be looking for a new job, pay is consistently the number one reason. Exactly. So salary is super important, but preferences are even more important. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I want to talk about the elephant in the room now. So one of the things we asked in this report that we didn't ask about before was about things like layoffs and job insecurity. We all know that layoffs have been very, we see it a lot talked about in in the news, right? Mm -hmm. And it was a lot in the tech industry. And then one of the latest, for example, was McDonald's, which is not tech, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so we're talking recession and all of that stuff. So what did our research tell us about layoffs and job insecurity? So one of the things we did with this report, as Mishan said, is ask different questions and kind of push the envelope on the topics that we're researching. And so lo and behold, 18% of this survey sample says they're afraid of losing their job in the next 12 months. And this was before the mass headlines of major layoffs and reduction, workforce reduction all over the globe in tech and beyond, as you said. So clearly this is front and center in people's minds. And clearly that number would be much, much higher if we were to poll people today. But there's one, there are a few things we can do with this data to kind of inform how we think about the way people are thinking about layoffs today. One is that we have a demographic of people that we use as our proxy for going through change. And that's people who've gone through a merger or work in an organization who has gone through a merger in the last 12 months or so. And in the past years that we've been doing this research, we use that as like our metric of somebody going through organizational change. And lo and behold, these are the people who are most afraid of losing their job, people who are going through times of change. And we also see differences by country. We see so not surprisingly, people who are looking for a new job are afraid of losing their job, but also people who are early in their career wow. are afraid of losing their job. I think those people are not sticking as much as they used to, because remember in one of our previous reports, we found that people hired in the pandemic were much more likely to boomerang to a previous employer. Mm-hmm. And so there's something about you know the way that we are onboarding people and integrating people now, I think that may not be working as well. So that might be something that we need to reconsider and reimagine in this new environment. I'm glad you mentioned the onboarding because there are two things that stem from job insecurity and it's all about communication Mm -hmm. and transparency. One of the stats that was my favorite from our last report was that we... Oh my gosh, you have a favorite (laughs) stat. I I love you. Please continue. We asked people to describe how they most feel or like, what is the word that most clearly describes how you feel when you're going through times of change? And this was even before mass layoffs and people who report working remote had the highest endorsement of uneasiness. Mm. So we interpreted that as being when people work remote, they feel out of the loop. They feel like they're not in touch with 
what's happening at the organization level. And now what we're seeing is that people who check in with their managers frequently report less fear of losing their job. Wow. And we're interpreting that in the same way here that across ways of working, when you have a good relationship with your manager and you have transparent conversations, you feel more clued into what's going on. And that kind of dissuades the fear. And the fear is big. (laughs) People are really afraid of losing jobs now. And that fear translates into other problems in the workforce. We're seeing people are more distracted. They're more likely to make mistakes. And this is self-report on this survey. People say they're more likely to make mistakes when they're afraid of losing a job. Wow, this is huge. So thank you. Thank you, Isha. So one of the things I wondered about was you know, with all these layoffs and job insecurity, so almost one in five people are afraid of losing their jobs. So that's the 18%. But now with that backdrop, are people now more likely to stay put at their jobs than we've seen before? Not exactly. I mean, it's about the same. We see a similar job seeking rate this year compared to last year, and that's way higher than pre-COVID. Yeah, that's one thing that surprised me. I kept stalking the Bureau of Labor Statistics, like waiting for the quit rates to go down. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, I don't know, there is a thread of people feeling more empowered than before. And those numbers are just not going down. So we're still at, you know, in the 30 percent, like 33 to 37, depending on the country and, you know, maybe industry, but typically within that range. And it has stayed there since, you know, we started talking about the great resignation. All right. So now I want us to talk about caretakers, because last time we studied parents and we found some interesting things there. But this time we decided to study caretakers and apply a bit of a different way of looking at that. Can you talk about the differences between what we looked at this time, what we looked at last time, and also what we found in terms of the research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So last time we spent a lot of time thinking about the experiences of parents versus non-parents because there were big differences in terms of stress, in terms of job seeking. It was really interesting to look at those two groups. But this time around, we wanted to expand the caretaking group to encompass not just parents, but people who have a responsibility to other loved ones. May it be a disabled sibling or perhaps an elderly parent or all of the above. These are people in the workforce who have financial and other obligations to take care of loved ones. And that extra responsibility it seeps into the workday, especially when emergencies happen. So these are the people that actually take up 32% of our sample. So it's a third of our sample is identifying as a caretaker. So this is not a, a small group of people that we're talking about. This is a big group of the workforce. So caretakers, what we found with caretakers follows in line with what we've been talking about with preferences, because we see that the reason why caretakers are looking for a new job and they are looking for a new job at a higher rate than non-caretakers is slightly different. First of all, people across the board are interested in salary. They're interested in how their compensation matches up to the competition, and that's why they're looking for a new job. But when you look at caretakers, 
Their number two, very close number two, is that they're looking for more flexibility. And that is going to give them the ability to manage all of those extra responsibilities they have. So much good information there, Isha. Thank you, especially for the reminder that caretakers make up so much of the workforce. I think that we don't talk about that enough. You know, we talk about demographics, but we don't talk about caretaking nearly as much as we probably should. All right, listeners, we had so much in this report that we decided to split it into two different podcasts. So this is part one. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll talk more about things like psychological safety, culture, some other personas and demographics in the workplace, and also what you can do to make the workplace better for all kinds of people. Thank you for tuning in to How We Work. And Dr. Isha Vicaria will also be back for part two. Can't wait. 